Hey, this is Taylor with a quick note. This show features a character with a fear of flying. I am not a doctor or therapist, so do not take any of the methods used in this episode as prescriptive or as medical advice. It is a work of fiction. Please consult a professional if you suffer from a severe form of anxiety. Now, on to the show. The dog is dead. The dog is dead. The dog is dead. Last line. You close the book and look at the smug face on the back. The author's picture fills the entire page. It's one of those paperback airport shelf books where the guy sells a bajillion copies and his name is bigger than the title. Why are you thinking about that? You need to think about something. Don't think about the plane. You're in the sky. No, stop thinking about it. You're just in the aisle seat. Row 26, seat B. You're not going to crash. The dog is dead. The book doesn't help now that you've finished it. Don't ask for help. This is your problem. It's bumpy. Turbulence. Dark clouds. Why does nobody care? You turn your head slowly, and the girl across the aisle is still journaling in a notebook or drawing something. You looked at her 14 times in the last chapter. Stop looking around. She looks so determined, and the plane's rattling. Something is loose. They said the plane would rattle. It's just a normal plane. Everything's fine. You already wrote with your opposite hand to distract. It didn't help. Now you have a paper of scribbles stuffed in the seat pocket. You should never have gone on this. Stop thinking that. You're gonna crash. Stop bumping. Stop. You can't look at anybody. The mother in front and to the right of you telling her kid not to spill anything. How is he fine with it? The guy behind you, sneezing. You want to smother him. You feel sick, but don't dare move to the bathroom. You shouldn't have done this. You should have just forgotten about it. She's not going to care. You want to scream and you feel your lip quiver, but you can't get out. Stop bumping, please. You can't trust thoughts. Go back to the book. It helped with takeoff, barely, and it still says the dog is dead. Dead. The light blinks overhead and the seatbelt symbol turns on. You look to the attendant up front. She's jostling about, unaffected. Seatbelt on as if it wouldn't be. Why do we need our seatbelts on? Would they tell you to prepare for a crash? Look, there was no time to drive. Face it. She's not going to care. Stop thinking like that. You have to. The dog is dead. And please stop bumping. Don't lose your breath. Don't focus on your breath. It was supposed to be a bigger plane. You could deal with a bigger plane. Maybe you couldn't. Something's rattling. And they're all nothing but cow-eyed, unresponsive. Oh, God. Breathe. You look to the man sitting next to you, the guy in seat A. Don't cry. Don't scream. Grow up in 60 seconds. You're an adult. Don't help, you think. You've got this. He looks over at you and looks down at your hands, pale, death gripping the armrests. He unbuckles from his seat, smiles warm, and leans over to you. He's a big guy with a ball cap. He asks you to start talking, telling him about what's going on. He says he was trained in the war for this kind of thing, and you need to keep your mind moving elsewhere. You don't believe him or know what war, but he jolts you by demanding what the hell happened. You start talking, your eyes wander, and he says to close them. He says to tell him about the airport terminal, what you did, step by step. You go back in your mind and tell him, anything to stop this. You walk through the sliding doors. This will be fine. It has to be. There's no problem whatsoever. You've dropped people off at the airport. You've been here. Now you're inside. The security line swoops like cattle to the slaughter. Don't think like that. You put one foot in front of the other. Baby steps. An old man in a leather jacket in front of you turns directly around and stares. 
He looks worried. Is he worried because you look worried? You turn around and look behind you. The lady looks bored. The old man in the leather jacket gets pulled over to the side at the detectors. They pull a brick shape out of his bag, blue gloves penetrating into pockets, patting down. Is he, uh, he doesn't look like... What does one look... What's your problem? They bark at you to step through, hands up, hands down, and you do everything three seconds too slow and wrong. You make it past in a daze, shoeless, like a helpless little kid, and you feel like one. You don't know where your ticket is. You pat your clothes, spinning around, and should you go back up and ask, nobody else goes back. They just keep walking, happy to be on this side. You sit on the bench, shoeless, frozen, but then you see it on the ground three steps away. You grip your ticket much too early, too much time. Baby steps through the terminal, past shops, eyes forward, E-45. Why did you get here so early? The airplane bumps hard, and you open your eyes. This isn't helping, you say to the man in 26A, but he says he's listening, and you're almost there. Trust him. And what happened next, you don't want to remember. You close your eyes, and you are back in the terminal. The TVs all over the place are blaring the president's remarks about the bill that just passed. The people around you are laughing at it. They keep replaying the same part where she misspoke. You feel upset. The man in seat 26A scoffs and swears. He must have seen it too. You get to gate E45. There is no plane out of the big windows, just dark clouds. Breathe. An announcement comes on. They are waiting on the pilot, James Colby, in that chipper voice of dread. They must say his name to humanize him so you feel like somebody's in control. You wait in silence, fishing for the spy thriller book in your bag. It's supposed to help distract you. You sit in an uncomfortable chair next to a white-haired lady with too many coats on. You look at her carry-on suitcase and it has a zebra pattern. She starts to talk to you about her zebra pattern suitcase, and you look at the plane that pulls up to your gate, and it's small, smaller than it's supposed to be. You can't get on that thing. Breathe. It's not worth it. She's not going to care. What's your problem? Remember the facts. You can't argue with the facts. It's not dangerous. But sometimes you die. The old lady switches from suitcases to the new security coming to the airports, made by the company that did the arena box, that VR toy of all things. You want her to keep talking because it almost let you stop thinking. But when you look over, she's drooling. Her eyes are rolled back. The announcement for boarding begins. Someone across from you asks if she's okay, but you stare back, mouthing air. What's happening? What are the chances? The person across from you rushes over to her and they shout to a worker at the gate desk and people with key cards jangling rush in, crowding tight. The chances of the lady next to you fainting, dehydrating, dying, whatever this is. The chances of the plane crashing, the chances of any of this working out. Don't ask for help now. Breathe. The security brings a bomb dog. It sniffs all over, and they never know what's going on, so they bring everybody. They start asking you questions, and the announcement for boarding ends, and you don't know how all of this has been happening at once. You didn't have time to prepare. There was so much time a second ago. The gate worker yells for you to get on the plane, and you're the only person left, but you're not ready. She yells again, your name, stares at you, clearly. Your feet are cinder blocks, and you slide them up to her. You get to her, shaking, and a travel umbrella falls out of your open backpack. Why did you bring it? And a little button hits the ground and pops it open, and the security and paramedics look over and the gate worker shouts. You sob, rushing down the corridor, pulling the paperback spy thriller book out of your bag, stuffing your nose into it, wiping tears. Last one on the plane, slam down into row 26, seat B. Buckle up, you take off, and with shaking hands, flip the pages to the end. 
The man in row 26, seat A, adjusts his ball cap and asks if the plane feels bumpy. You tell him no, and recounting all that didn't help, and it made it worse, and he asks if you could ever go in an airport again. You say never, and he laughs. He asks what you wanted to be when you were growing up. You say an astronaut, because that's your default answer, but now it rings with too much irony, and you feel like he's playing therapist, so you say your parents separated when you were a kid, and is he happy about that? He laughs again and says you can't be scared and sarcastic at the same time. He points with his thumb to the rows behind you. He says the guy sneezing is a famous film director, but nobody's recognized him. He's afraid he's not important. The bumping starts again, and you clench your jaw, hands, and legs. The man says people don't fight fear unless they're about to lose something. He turns away, looking out the window, then asks, his eyes pulling yours to his, what are you trying to keep? You say her name? Driving would take too long. There's no time. And how do you stop the bumping? He smiles. You dislike him a lot, because he's too confident, trying to be some sort of modern philosopher. He leans over and unbuckles your seatbelt. Life is short, he says, and according to the news, the nanobots are probably going to take us over someday, so you need some tough love. The buckles fall off to the side of your chair. He tells you to get up and go to the bathroom and wash your hands and come back. A command, no longer the folksy Mr. Rogers demeanor. He takes his ham-fisted hands and yanks yours off the armrest. He shoves you out into the aisle. Your legs quake, and the only thing you can do is grab the backs of the chairs. You turn to look at him, but there's fire in his eyes now. And you walk, stumble, crawl, crumble into the bathroom, lock the door, and collapse. You gasp, curled on the cold plastic floor. The flight attendant announces they are landing soon, and everybody needs to be in their seats. You are alone. You have to do this alone. Man up, grow up. What does that mean? Who can do that? Tell me about the terminal, you say to yourself. You walk through the sliding doors, the security line, the lost ticket, the white-haired lady, the umbrella, the book, the bathroom. Tell it again, you say, serious. And you do. And again. It gets easier every time. It's not easy, but it gets easier. A lifetime in this bathroom. Fighting it's wrong. Baby steps is wrong. Just steps. Everything is just your own steps. The flight attendant knocks on the door. You have to go back to your seat. You say it to yourself. Step one, get up. Step two, wash your hands. Step three, open the door. Step four, down the aisle. Step five, sit down. Tell me about getting back to your chair, you think. You could do it again. The man in row 26 C-Day looks over to you. He stares. I'm not a bad guy, he says with a somber sigh. You clench the armrests. You tell him he's not. He smiles that smile again and says you have to look out the window for the landing. It's worth it. You flinch as he stands up and slides in front of you, butt in your face, then his body in the aisle. He directs you to scoot over to the window. You gotta see this. The flight attendant unbuckles and approaches, a stern sir over the cabin noise. You clench down. It's a step too far. You can't look out the window. Let's just land already. You search for the book, any distraction, but now the flight attendant is over top of both of you, and the big goofy author's face on the back of the book slides under the seat in front of you. The flight attendant demands you follow the instructions or you will be met at the gate with security on landing. And the man from row 26 seat A tells the flight attendant that's fine, he'll meet anyone he has to, but this guy's gotta have some more time. He says you're an inspiration. 
You slide over, hunch down in seed A, and look. You're looking down and out. Clouds rush by and pockets of earth underneath. The man in seat B says she's beautiful, isn't she? And you say yes, thinking not her, but her. What's down there? He says it won't be that way forever, you know. You stay glued to the ground and the sky and feel the wing vibrating. You can do it, you realize. You're doing it. You never thought about it like this. If she says no, you can still do it. What else are you afraid of? What other steps are left? The ground comes close. The ant-sized cars recede with the highways. The plane bumps once, gently onto the black path designed for it. You are looking at the wing, bouncing up and down, slicing past the bustle on the runway. You think how airports are really just nowhere, because people only go to an airport to get somewhere else. You are nowhere and feel like nobody until you get there. Here. The flight attendant taps you on the shoulder. You need to vacate the plane, she says, and you look up and you are the last one left. Everyone else is off. You patter down the jet bridge and through the terminal and get to the luggage claim. You have no luggage to claim, but they make you go through this part, a funnel to the next step, to being somebody again. A man is grasping flowers off to the side. Another man in baggy slacks is holding up a sign, waiting to drive an important person away. You take the next step. A knock on the door, almost a month after the flight. You get up from the breakfast nook in her apartment and tell her you'll see who it is. She says she's not expecting anyone. It's been a weird but good month so far. You told her everything. She did the same. It's worth working out. You open the door to three men in suits. One of them asks for your name and you say it's you. They wave badges and spout agency names and they need to talk. She hears the voices and then comes up behind you, looking at her phone. She says on the news some guy blew himself up on the bridge. Like THE bridge. It collapsed. 400 people, maybe more? She runs to call and check on her family. The men in suits come in, want to ask you questions, and it feels like a bad scene spliced into the wrong movie. You just got in town, you say, and they bring up the flight, and the man in row 26 seat A, and what did he say to you on that flight, and what were his intentions, and did he mention anything about the recent bill that got passed or the current administration, and was he affiliated with this group or that one, and what did he say to you? The only thing you know is that he helped you get here. He said he wasn't a bad guy. He didn't say anything about himself, really. Perhaps you didn't ask, or you just didn't hear. You were dealing with your own thing. The men in suits ask a lot of detailed questions about the man in row 26 seat A, and thank you for your time, and then they leave. The men in suits never ask what he was afraid of. You wouldn't know, though. He didn't ask for help. He didn't ask for anything. But then again, neither did you. Thanks so much for listening. The Dog is Dead is written by me, Taylor Zablowski, at a table in the public library, recorded under a blanket in my closet, and edited in a fast food restaurant booth with the nearest power outlet. Let me know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes or sending a message at zablowski.com. Feel free to share this podcast with someone else who you think might enjoy it. And thanks again.